Y'all are going to make me cry. Um, God is just, he's too good. Too good to even put into words. I'm so thankful for the path that he's taken me on. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm young, but it hasn't always been easy. I had a conversation with my mom about this recently that, you know, there was a lot that, uh, you know, me being a teenager that um, our family walked through. And I'm just thankful that I had uh, a mom that taught me how to pray. I'm thankful that I had a mom that showed me what it was like to practice Christianity, not just on a Sunday, but in the house every day. I'm so thankful for that. And I know my dad is watching too. Dad, I just want to say happy Father's Day. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the work that God has done in your life. I love you, Dad. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. Well, it's Father's Day, and I do want to say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers here, whether you are a physical, biological father or if you're a spiritual father. Being a father is so important. Whether you have kids or whether you're fathering kids that have come into the church, new babies in the church, I want you to know that if you're a father today, the work that you do, the the ministry that you do every day is so important in the lives of the next generation. It is critical. Without strong fathers, the next generation doesn't have a great chance. So thank you to all the dads that are here. Let's, let's go to the word. I know that you've been standing for a bit, but I want to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This should be a pretty familiar um, passage of scripture, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, they say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the only God. I'm reading this in the Amplified, just, just so you know. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, with all your strength, which is your entire being. These words which I command you today shall be written on your heart and mind. And then this is a key scripture that I want us to focus on today. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That is impressing God's precepts on their mind and penetrating their hearts with his truths. And shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as bands or frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's all lift our hands real quick as we pray and get into the word today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we're so thankful that we have a good father that sits on the throne that is in control of everything, Jesus. 
I pray that you would help us to follow your example as a father, God. Help us to love one another. Help us to love the next generation. Help us to love each other the way that, that you love us, God, that you've shown that unconditional love, the love that transcends any boundaries, God. Help us to love one another and help us to teach your word. Help us to teach truth everywhere we go. Let your word be hidden in our hearts so that we can teach your truth to the next generation, God, so the church continues and continues and continues on this earth until you come back, Jesus. We give you glory and honor today. We magnify your holy name. You are a good father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for letting me cry a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, this on this Father's Day, uh, I, I was praying and, and God, you know, kind of laid this on my heart. I just have three points that I want to go through um, fairly quickly. Y'all know, as Pastor said last time, when a preacher says fairly quickly, you never know how long it's actually going to be. But, <laughs> but God is good nonetheless, right? So this, um, the three points that I want to share with you today is first off, the word has to be in us. Secondly, this experience has to be something that we take part of every day. And then since it's Father's Day, I wanna finish up with how critical the role of a father is in our walk with God. So we started in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four, and if you know anything about Bible history at this point in time, the law is about to be given, and this commandment goes forth through the mouth of Moses, but truly it's from God. And this commandment shows us how important it is to God that we follow and know his word inside and out. It really shows us how important obedience is to God because he goes through uh, this command with the children of Israel. Um, and the, the reason why that I believe, the reason why it is so important to know God's word is because as we learned last week through pastor's message, God's word is truth. And truth sets people free. You know, I, I watched a clip. I want to share this with you. I don't want to get um, too into the weeds on this, but I watched a clip from this gentleman called Matt Walsh, and he has this documentary that's going to be coming out called What is a Woman, right? And it talks a lot about the gender, you know, things that are going on in our, in our world, but he had this conversation with a professor at a college, right, a PhD professor, and they were sitting one from another, and you could tell from the body language it was combative right off the bat, just the way that they were, you know, sitting and, and talking with one another. And Matt Walsh said something. Uh, he said that, you know, he was trying to understand what is the truth? What is the truth? And this professor responded by saying, I find that statement highly offensive. I find that highly offensive. And then the professor asked him, how about you just tell me what your truth is and I'll share with you what my truth is. 
And it, it struck me in a, a spiritual way, right? Because that's the kind of world that we're seeing right now, where actually, if you study the book of Jeremiah, it's very similar to the nation of Israel back in the book of Jeremiah. There's a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 7 when it talks about how the children of Israel had walked away and all of these problems that were showing up in their culture and in their society, economic issues, um, you know, problems with following the law and loving one another. And God told Jeremiah, the reason why that happens is because truth has perished. That there's no longer any regard for just an objective truth. And as we know, being children of God and serving God, that his word is truth. And his word is the only truth that we need. And his word will set us free. But just this idea of having you know, your truth and my truth. I, I want to tell you this. Um, I hope it's not offensive to you, but it is truth. That subjective truth destroys souls. When you believe that truth can be anything you want it to be, it destroys souls. As human beings, we need a moral compass. We need truth that we can follow. And that is the word of God. That is truth. And this is something that God was trying to get his people to understand here in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Follow the word of God. Let this word, to use, his, to use God's word, let this word be bound on your hand. Let it be uh, between your eyes always. Talk about it when you're in your house, when you're walking, when you're standing up, when you're laying down. Talk about his word. Get it inside of you. Write it on your doorpost. Let his word ever be before you. Because when we live that way, the truth will make us free. But there's something really cool about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses, the verses that we read, uh, verses 4 through 9, that we actually see um, a progression happen, that it, it, it goes through these couple steps. Like if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the first thing that God establishes right before this command is you have to understand who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You have to understand his nature. We talked about this in Spirit Life a couple weeks ago, that the oneness of God, understanding that he is everything that you need, understanding that it was he who robed himself in flesh and not just sent somebody else to die for you, but he himself stepped off the throne, robed himself in flesh, died on a cross, understanding who God is. That is the number one thing that you have to grasp is that God is one. He is the I am, as Exodus chapter 3 says. But then once you understand who he is, you grasp his nature, then you move to a different step, which is loving the Lord your God with all of your being. You have to understand who he is in order to love him. So that's why there's this progression. Understand that he is the I am, and then love him with everything you have. He doesn't mince words here. He says to fall in love with him truly with all of your being, your heart, your mind, your strength, everything that makes you a human, love God with that. And then once you love him, there's another step. Then put the word in your heart. He says in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, after it says, love the Lord your God, in verse 5, uh, verse 6 says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be written on your heart and mind. Get the word inside of you. It's not just enough 
to be exposed to the word every once in a while, but it has to be a daily love affair with the word of God. We have to continually put the word inside of us. Psalm chapter 119, 11, David said in the King James Version, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It was the word that made the difference in his life. The word in his heart caused him not to sin against God. And then Psalm 119, verses 105 through 106, David again describes the word of God like this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and have confirmed it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. The word of God has to be inside of us because this is how we overcome the world is through the spirit and the word of God inside of us. If you don't want to sin, Get the word of God in your heart. That's what David said. It is the truth that makes us free. And then the fourth progression, after you grasp God's nature, after you love him with everything, after you've put the word inside of you, the fourth thing is to teach it to the next generation. To pass it on, as the title says. Teach it to the next generation. But this is what I'll say, before we can teach our children, whether it's your biological children or spiritual children in the church, before we can do that, we have to become a disciple. Revival starts in here. It starts in our heart. We have to take ownership of our own revival in our own heart. And then once we have that revival, once we love God with everything and we're putting the word of God inside of us, then we can teach it to the next generation. We have to be a disciple in order to disciple others. We have to be a disciple first. So this first point that I want to get across to you is that It begins by putting the word inside of us. Once the word's in us, then we can properly disciple our children or the next generation, no matter what's going on in the world. We need to be strong before we can raise a strong generation. Joshua chapter one, verses eight through nine say this, and this this one's in the Amplified. It says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night, there it is again, every day, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified or dismayed or intimidated for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have to build strong saints in the church. We need strong Christians that are living every day with God. And once we have that, and I believe this church is full of strong saints, that then we can begin to disciple the next generation. We can pass on what we have received into the next generation, and we can begin to share those scriptures that got us through the most horrific moments in our life. We can begin to teach people how to pray, how to fast, how to study the word of God, how to walk with God every day, not just in service on a Sunday, because we all know what to do when we're here on service. We all know to raise our hands. We all know to say, thank you, Jesus, and I praise you, Lord. But what do you do on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when you're at your home? Are you still lifting your hands? Are you still thanking God? Are you showing your children how to pray, how to seek God's face every day? Because one day a week is not enough. One day a week is not enough. 
I'm sorry, but I'm passionate about this message because the world is trying so hard and always has, right? Like, don't get me wrong. It has always tried to derail the next generation, the next group of young people that are coming up. I mean, if you look throughout history, one of the first places that's attacked is the schools and the homes. That's the first places that are attacked when people are trying to take God out of a culture. It's the schools and the homes. It's the book burnings and trying to destroy the word of God and trying to destroy strong men and husbands. That's how the enemy tries to take out the next generation. So I'm passionate about this today. I hope that's okay. So we have to have the word inside of us. I'll give you some very practical things right now, especially men and fathers that are here. Let me give you a quick statistic. I actually brought a lot of statistics for a little bit later, but let me give you this. That Christianity at large, so this is beyond all denomination or across all denominations, not just, um, you know, UPCI or Baptist or whatever, across all denominations. Did you know that the breakdown as of last year, 2021, is 70% women, 30% men in all of Christianity? Men are so vital in the church. And men, honestly, And I'm speaking to myself here. We got to step up. We got to do better. If it's not just for us, for our kids, it's for those who are watching us, the people we're mentoring and role modeling, we have to step up as men. Even when we look here in this church, there's more women than men. I don't know why that is. Actually, I kind of do. Because the enemy attacks men first. He goes after the protector first. And if he can make weak men, then he's got the families. If men are not willing to stand up and to speak up for what is right and true and holy and righteous, the enemy has the family. We have to have strong men. And the men that are here in the church, not just in LifeSpring, but at large, we have to have the word of God in us. Here are some practical things as a man, a father. If you're not reading the word every day, you need to start right away. If you're not praying every day, we need to start right away. We can't afford to delay these things any longer because if we do, we're already seeing the results. If we do, look at the young people now. They have so much confusion and grasping for an identity somewhere because they don't know what's going on in their life. They don't have any role model that can show them how to be a good man or a good woman. It's gone. So we have to be strong for the next generation so we can pass on this truth. So study the word. It's got to be in us. Number two is that this cannot just be a Sunday service thing. It's got to be in the home every day. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. This, there's, a, there's a scripture in here that, that kind of blew me away, and we'll get there in just a second. But Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. Uh, I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It's going to be a little lengthy, but please follow along. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, Uh, difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, 
revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane, and they will be unloving, that is devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, that's intemperate or immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasures rather than the lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, that's religion, although they have denied its power for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Wow. Avoid such people and keep far away from them for among them are those who worm their way into homes and captive uh, and captivate morally weak and spiritually dwarfed women weighed down by the burden of their sins, easily swayed by various impulses, always learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What did we say about truth? Truth sets you free, right? In this scripture, that last part hit me really hard when God laid this on my, on my heart. You know, this is something that I know, and this is something I think we all know, that there's always been evil in the world, always. Ever since, uh, as Sister Calhoun put it, ever since that time of innocence ended and sin entered the world, there's always been evil. I mean, you can look back through <laughs> scripture and see all of the evil deeds done by humanity since that point in time. And there's always been these comings and goings, depending on culture, of the things that people struggle with, whether it be um, gender identity and the right relations between a man and a woman, or maybe it's greed, or maybe it's, you know, lust for power, like all of those things, they're all sin to God. But this scripture actually tells us that there seems to be a greater increase in evil in the last days, according to this scripture that there's going to be a different kind of evil. And actually, it goes through all of these things that we're going to see. And these things have been around since the beginning, right? Or since that time of innocence ended. But there's going to be this different kind of evil that's going to rise up. And we're going to see people who no longer have empathy. They don't care about one another. Nobody loves one another anymore. There's hatred. There's strife. There's pain. There's people who are self-seekers, there's greed and moral corruptness and and outward uh, godliness, but tombs on the inside. But what really strikes me is verse six. Some of this evil, or all of it, is trying to worm its way into homes. That's what verse six says. For among them are those who worm their way into homes worm their way into homes, sneaky, subtly. It looks innocent at first, but creeping, yes, this creeping darkness trying to worm its way into homes. This is what we would call, what we would, (laughs) these are the external forces, right? That we like to blame a lot of things for, you know, leading kids astray like Disney or Netflix or Hollywood, or this, that, and the other, right? Those are the things trying to worm their way into homes. But I want to show you something. I hope this is a revelation for you. Look at what the verse says, that there's always going to be these evils trying to worm their way into homes, always. But who are the people taken captive by the the darkness? 
It's not the strong people. It's not the people who have a solid faith. It's not those who are standing firm on the word of God and they're in the word every day and they're praying every day. It's not those people. Scripture says that it is those who are morally weak and spiritually dwarfed women. That's what scripture says. I wanna give you something else. That you know, scripture uses literary modes to help us understand things. Like Sister Calhoun, although you're not a man, you said today, you referenced your spiritual man on the inside, right? This is a similar literary tool to get us to understand something. That although it's not exclusively talking about women, it is exclusively talking about the spiritual condition of people. If you study this out in the Greek, it specifically translates into a damsel in distress, someone who cannot stand up for themselves and is taken captive and kidnapped. My son would like this reference, but it's like Princess Peach in Super Mario. She can't help it. She always gets kidnapped by Bowser, and now Mario has to stand up and save her. But that's the condition that it's trying to get us to understand, that the people who are not in the word every day and praying every day and seeking the face of God, they're like a damsel in distress that cannot stand up for themselves and is in, is in need of saving. But those who are strong in the spirit can stand up to the enemy when it tries to worm its way into our house and say, not today. You're not coming in through the movies. You're not coming in through the TV. You're not coming in through the music. You're not coming in. Those who are strong in spirit are able to stand under the authority of God and say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that. You will not have my kids. You will not have my spouse. You will not have my family because I am strong in the word of God. We cannot afford to have weak homes. We cannot afford that. Our responsibility is to build strong homes. Our responsibility is to build strong sanctuaries for the next generation to be raised in so that they will be able to stand against the enemy, so that they will be able to understand the truth in the word of God and be set free just like we are. Proverbs chapter 22, verses five through six says, thorns and snares are in the way of the obstinate for their lack of honor and their wrongdoing traps them. He who guards himself with godly wisdom will be far from them and avoid the consequences they suffer. If you guard yourself and your home, you will not fall into the same traps that those who do not fall into. And it is painful to fall into a trap. That's why scripture says it this way. Thorns and snares are the way of the obstinate. And then it says this, train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a responsibility to provide spiritual guardianship to our children. Whether they're our biological children or the children in the church, we have a responsibility to provide spiritual guardianship to those children. If we do not, we are sacrificing our children to this world. Man, I know, I know this is a hard message, please. I know, I know. But I am tired, I am tired of the world telling 
parents and fathers how they're supposed to raise their children. I am tired of people saying, just sit down and be quiet. We will educate your children. I am tired of that. And I feel emboldened in the Holy Spirit to preach this message today. The enemy will not have my children. We have a responsibility to be spiritual guardians. The way that we do this is by taking a stand for what is morally right and for truth. To take a stand for it. In our homes, we must practice our faith, not just on a Sunday. Our kids need to see us praying and studying the word. Our kids need to see us fasting and we need to teach them the word of God. We need to talk about it all the time like Deuteronomy 6 says, when we're walking, when we're standing, when we're in our house, when we're in church, when we're just spending time with our kids, we need to be sharing the word of God and praying with one another and seeking truth with one another and showing the next generation what truth can truly do in our life. It can set us free. I had a conversation with somebody at work the other day. She's a a regular client of mine. And she's a believer. I believe she's, um, she goes to a Lutheran church and she does take her faith very seriously. And we've had a lot of really good conversations about faith, but she's older, maybe like 65, 70. And uh, we were sitting in the, the bank the other day and she was asking me some questions and then she said um she said I am just so afraid for my grandchildren to go to public school because you know she was um her grandchildren are like going into middle school I think it was so they were getting out of elementary school and going into middle school and you know we were talking about the different dynamic there and I, I believe you know I grew up in public school. I know a lot of us did. Um, it's a little different today, but but uh, <laughs> Sister Carla can attest to that. I know Sister Karen can too. But you know, we were talking about that, and and um, something she said really stuck out to me. She said that she was so thankful that her son prays with her kids. And it stuck out to me, this, you know, this was before God really laid this on my heart. I believe he was, you know, tilling the ground, getting it ready for him to put this in me. But she said that, I'm so thankful that my son prays with my kids. And what that really showed me is that if our faith is being practiced at home, the world can try. But when we take a stand at home every day, I am telling you, That yes, when children become adults, they can make their own decisions, but the word that was spoken to them at home, not just at church, but at home, stays in their life. And you know, scripture says, train up a child in the way they'll go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Sometimes our kids take a detour, but oftentimes when it is in the home every day, they find a way back on the path. Whether it's, you know, a two-week detour or a 20-year detour, but it has to be in the home every day. I want to share with you, as I'm wrapping up, I've been yelling at you long enough. I'm wrapping up. This last point, we've been talking a lot about families and fathers and 
But this last one, I want to share with you the impact that a father has on his family. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. We're going to go back to this for a second. You shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Let me give you a little like cultural context here. You know, what we see oftentimes in America, and, and this is, I want to be careful the way I say this. What we see oftentimes in America is that the mom provides most of the spiritual guidance in a household. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I grew up that way. Mom, I, that's why I said at the beginning, I'm so thankful for, for a mom who taught me how to pray, who shared the word with me. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But historically speaking, culturally speaking, when God was sharing this through the mouth of Moses, the expectation was that the father was the main teacher in the household. There's nothing wrong with women teaching. Please understand me. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And, and it should be promoted that women teach in the household and at church to, to the next generation. I believe that. Here, here, the expectation was that the father is the primary one educating their children. That they were the ones who shared scripture with their children. And today we see a reversal of that. That's why I started off by saying 70% of the population in Christianity is women. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm gonna share with you some statistics about the difference between, uh, or not the difference, but, but the, the impact that a father has. Psychological studies have shown us the importance of having a strong father in the home. And actually, psychology, although uh, it is becoming more and more liberal, will tell you this, that the best development that a family can provide to a child comes from a married two-parent heterosexual household. I wonder why, because that's the way God intended it to be. And what is the, the thing that's coming under attack the most? Relationships between men and women and the way a man and a woman should operate with one another. Psychology even tells you that children have a better chance of being successful in life, of having higher grades, of having higher self-esteem, of like all of these things come from a solid two-parent heterosexual household. And listen to this. I'm going to give you some world statistics. The word of God is true. And what's amazing is that when you really pay attention to the way the world works, it reaffirms what God already said in his word. But look at some of these. I, I, I pulled these um, from their original sources, okay? So I went back to the original to make sure that these were legitimate statistics before just spouting off some things to you, okay? The U.S. Census Bureau, according to last year, said that 43% of children in the United States have no father figure in their life. U.S. Census Bureau, last year, 43% of children have no father figure in their life. According to last year, the National, National Institute of Justice recorded that 90% of runaway and homeless children are from a fatherless home. 90%. U.S. Department of Justice reported last year that 39% of inmates that are housed in jail are from an absent father home. The National Center for Education Statistics last year reported that 71% of all high school dropouts are from a fatherless household. 
Texas Department of Corrections reported last year that in the, the jails and prisons that they polled, the percentage of minors that were in prison who grew up without a father is 85%. 85% of all minors in those prisons that they polled did not grow up with a father. The National Institute of Justice last year also reported that uh, 75% of adolescents in substance abuse treatment facilities were from a fatherless home. 75% of kids that have drug issues from a fatherless home. Uh, Like, you can't tell me that a dad isn't needed in a kid's life. You can't tell me that a kid don't need dad to say, I love you and I'm proud of you and, and this is the right way, this is how you live for God. You can't tell me that kids don't need that. Because you look at the downside And this is just a few. I could keep going. This is just a few things that I pulled just for the purpose of making a point. The downside of not having a father, whether it's a biological father or not, that really doesn't matter when you look at psychological statistics. Just having a father figure, a spiritual dad, a mentor, somebody in your life that can show you the right way from the mouth of a man is so critical to a child's development. Strong fathers are needed in our homes. This is exactly what the world and what the enemy is trying to destroy. Sit down, dad, and be quiet because we know what's best. That's the message of the world. Man. Look at some of these church statistics from Promise Keepers. My, My mom shared this with me because she thought how impactful this was. And Promise Keepers is a religious nonprofit. You can go and look them up. They do a lot of studies on church attendance and and uh, children living for God, and they have a very robust men's ministry because of this fact. Listen to this. This is uh, statistics on people in the family who have come to salvation, who have come to Christ. If a child is the first one to come to Christ in their family, they have a a 3.5% probability that the rest of their family will follow them. 3.5, that's not a whole lot of influence. If mom comes to Christ first, they have a 17% probability that the rest of their family will follow as well. If dad comes to Christ first, the probability jumps from 17% to 93% probability that the family will follow. 93%. A father has a huge influence in their family. This is the one that my mom sent me Because in the message, she said, I'm so proud and thankful that our family didn't become a statistic. Because listen to this. When mom and dad both attend church regularly, 72% of children will remain faithful. When only dad attends regularly, 55% remain faithful. And listen to this drop off. When only mom attends, 15% remain faithful. It goes from 55% to 15%. And when neither parent attends, 6% of children remain faithful. My mom sent me that because, you know, growing up, she was the one who brought us to church. And she said, I'm so thankful that we didn't fall into that 85% of families that just left their faith because the dad wasn't involved. When dad, this is what these statistics tell me, right? Make up your own mind about this. When dad is involved in home and church life, there is a major positive impact on the entire family, especially the kids, especially the kids. 
So today on Father's Day, I really want to challenge the dads here, and I'm including myself in this. I want to challenge the dads that we need to step it up for the sake of the next generation. We need to step it up for the sake of the souls that are coming behind us. We have to be that positive role model. We have to be in the word all the time. We have to teach our kids and not just, not, not just our kids. If you don't have kids at home, we got to teach the next generation, the, the babies in Christ, if you will, the people coming in to church. We have a responsibility to be guardians of our family, and that includes our church family. We have a responsibility to be educated in the word so that we can pass it on to the next generation. Let's all stand. I don't want to end it on a, a sour note, but look at this. Like a lot of these statistics show the devastating impacts of not having a dad in the home. But think about the other side. When you do have a solid, uh, a solid dad that's founded in truth, whether it's in the home or in church, whatever, when you do have that, think about the upside. Think about all of the kids that will continue their faith with God because of the influence of a father, of a man that put their arm around a young person and said, let me show you how to live for God. Let me teach you the word. Let me show you how to pray. Let me, let's gather together and pray together, right? That kind of dad, that kind of dad can impact the next generation and then raise up young people that live like that in the generational impact that comes from just dads stepping up and being true biblical dads and men, the impact that can happen. So today, for this altar call, I'm gonna invite everybody down, but specifically the dads. I wanna pray specifically for the dads that God would strengthen us, that God would empower us, to live the way we need to and to put the word inside of us so that we can be the best that we can possibly be for the next generation. So first, all the dads, come on down. Let's pray together. All the dads, all the dads. Whether you're a spiritual dad, maybe you're discipling somebody right now who's not your biological child. It doesn't matter. If you're a dad, spiritually or biologically, come on down. And then the rest, let's gather behind the dads in a sign of support. That we support the dads here. We support the men here because they should have a voice in the lives of, of all of them, uh, of all the people around them. They should have a voice and not be afraid to speak up. Man, the fear that this world tries to instill on men, like you're not allowed to speak. No, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. We need to stand up for what's right. For the sake of the next generation, don't let it die with us. So all the, all the dads, I want you to just lift your hands and just begin to pray that God would strengthen you. We're gonna pray together. All the people behind, I pray I ask you that you would stretch out your hands towards the dads and pray a prayer of empowerment. Pray that God would embolden us, that God would, uh, that, that he would hide his truth in our hearts, that, that he would strengthen us to be solid men and dads so that we can pass this on to the next generation.
We need strong men. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for all the dads in the house today. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to stand up for what's right and not be afraid of the voices that come against us. Lord, give us the strength to make a stand for our families, for our home life, for the condition in the church, for the people that we're mentoring and the people that we're discipling. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to stand up for what is morally right, for what is true and what is godly, Lord. Help us to be examples, to be role models of how to live for God, how a man should conduct himself according to the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would use us to impact the next generation. Let your word be hidden in our hearts so that we can teach the people that are coming behind us, so that we can pass it on to the next generation, to the kids, so they can grow up in a godly environment, so they can grow up and have a godly mentor, a godly father in their life, Jesus. Lord, strengthen the dads here today. And I'm so thankful for a church that is coming behind the dads, that is praying prayers of strength and prayers of empowerment for these dads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this word. I pray that it, it would encourage us to continue to be consistent every day. Let it encourage us to not just have a relationship with you on a Sunday when we're here at church, but to have a relationship with you on Monday and Tuesday and every other day during the week, a relationship that bleeds into all of the, the family interactions that we have. Let that relationship be so strong between us and you, God, that we can share it with our kids, that we can show them how to pray, that we can teach them how to read the word and how to study the word so they can get the word into their hearts. And this just becomes a perpetuating thing from generation to generation. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Continue to strengthen the dads here, God. Continue to strengthen the dads here.